Let's go. 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 Let's All right, welcome back to NBA University. Um, shout out to DJ Zenus again um, for the intro music. Check him out on um, all social media platforms, iTunes, Spotify, all that. You'll like what you hear. Um, but we're going to get right into it. Just jump right into um, this past Saturday's college basketball, which had a lot of awesome games. Um, once we get through those, we'll jump into our um, team breakdown where we break down four Big Ten teams now. Um, moved on from the ACC. Um, give you a little insight onto the what we think the second best conference is in college basketball. Um, and then go from there. Zach, what did you think of Saturday? Yeah, so sa- thankfully uh, this Saturday felt like college basketball was back again finally. We kind of had uh, – we got lucky that first night of basketball with Duke and Kentucky and Kansas and Michigan State, but then – didn't have a whole lot after that, except for a few preseason tournaments. So Saturday finally felt like college basketball is really back. Uh, we had a lot of good games, a lot of teams scheduling, a lot of good teams scheduling other good teams in non-conference play, which is starting to become a trend, and that's a good thing for, for the sport for sure. Um, but we had a lot of close games, like a couple games I had my eye on were Michigan State and Florida, uh, Michigan State's first super – not not crazy hard test, but road road environment in Florida with a decent Florida team that could definitely have some upset potential. And the other one was Seton Hall, Kentucky, um, which I didn't even think was going to be as good of a game as it was. But if you didn't watch it, I'm sorry because it was pretty special. Uh, so I just want to hit on that one a little bit more. Um, Kentucky has now played two power five, well power six, I guess, in college basketball. Uh, two two of those schools in their 0-2, they got hammered by Duke opening night and then just lost to Seton Hall by one in overtime. Realistically, they should have lost by three in regulation, but Kelvin Johnson hit an unreal half-court shot to tie the game and force overtime. Um, and then I think their youth set in at that point because they started celebrating like they just won the game and Seton Hall came out and scored the first six points of overtime uh, and didn't really look back. But what did you think of that game? Yeah, that was a fun game to watch. Um, P.J. Washington definitely heard trade rumors out there. Yeah, um, you're welcome. <laughs> Big Blue Nation, you're welcome. Put up a huge 29-12. and 12. Um, Actually led the team in points, rebounds, assists, and uh, blocks. Um, just really played hard. He was, I think, the only reason they were in the game. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think, I think I really want to see more from Reed Travis. Um a grad transfer bringing a lot of experience to that team. Um, just, I feel like there's something missing from him. He should be not necessarily producing more, but giving them more. Um, he played decent, but like I said, I, I feel like something's missing from him. Um, and then they, I feel like these young guys sort of get discouraged if they go down or they're not hitting their shots. Like Harrow went four thirteen, like. Um, Really didn't feel like he was engaged in the game. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, Seton Hall, right. I mean, they played really well. Miles um, Powell had a, had an excellent game, shooting nearly uh, shooting over fifty percent from three uh, was, was awesome. So they're a lot of fun to watch because they play well together. Uh, they have a couple, a few guys that sort of lead them on offense, but they're a fun team to watch for sure. Yeah, I think that that loss is kind of dangerous for Kentucky just because I think this is Seton Hall's worst team in the last few years. Like you think of Isaiah Whitehead and Angel Delgado and. Carrington and all these other guys they've had the last few years and you think like how solid they were as like an eight nine seed every year and now they basically just had Miles Powell but Miles Powell is the classic New York City type guard like the Chamori Ponds and then you I also think of guys like Kemba and Shabazz Napier who just are placed so big on the biggest stages especially in the garden where Cardiac Kemba got his name uh and Powell's just another one of those guys that just hit he had three points in the first half and finished the game at 28, I 28, think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just hit shot after shot. It made you say, like, what the heck? Like his, well, what should have been the game winner, but ended up just forcing overtime was a double clutch three with two people with their hands in his face, like perfect defense and just never a doubt that it was going in. So that says a lot about him and Seton Hall. But Kentucky needs a shooter really bad. Tyler Harrow is supposed to be an awesome shooter, and I still think he is. And from what I've been told by people that have played with him, he's supposed to be a knockdown shooter, and he's really struggled so far. Yeah, I think that, like I said, that goes to the – they get discouraged if they're not, the shots aren't going in, if they're losing. Um, they seem to shut down pretty quick, uh, which is dangerous, especially um, in a much-improved SEC. You, know, you got teams like Auburn and Tennessee – um, that are top 10 teams that can really shut you down defensively. So uh, if you let missed shots discourage you or um, if you go down a few points, if the go, team goes on a run and you get down, um, that could turn into a 10 to 15 point run real quick. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think Kentucky really has to work on that confidence um, playing together. They sort of play as five individuals out there right now. Um, but, as far as Seton Hall goes, I think, I mean, you're right, their talent-wise is down, but I think because they play so much as a team and they can rely on Powell so much um, that they're actually better uh, than they have been in past years past. I can see them playing well in the tournament because of that. I mean, Powell... Yeah, and that's a... No, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> you go ahead. <laughs> that's a... I was just going to say that talent thing is a common theme kind of like we're seeing with Oklahoma right now. Last year they had Trey Young and he took the world by storm, but this year as a as a whole, Oklahoma is probably a significantly better team. Yeah, I mean, if you have teams that are, you have a guy taking forty percent of the shots, um, uh, like a team that we will cover later today. Um, little foreshadowing there for you. Um, <laughs> but if you have a player like that that's taking that many shots, I mean, people get disengaged offensively. Uh, it's just natural, no matter how hard you want to play as a team. If you're getting a shot once every six, seven possessions um, at most, I mean, they really, really struggle offensively. You don't become as efficient as a team as you can. So, yeah, I mean, speaking of that, we can sort of transition to Michigan State and Florida, two teams that I think play really well together um, due to their sort of age and experiences there. Um, what do you think of that game? Yeah, I 
I'm struggling with Florida this year just because I thought they would be a lot better because they're returning a lot of talent and a lot of experience, like you said. But they haven't really hit their stride yet. Like Jalen Hudson was supposed to be really special, and now he's relegated to a serious bench role. He only played like something like 30 minutes in the previous four or five games before this game against Michigan State. And then he got 15 minutes in this game. But, like, he should have been a 35-minute with uh, Kavon Allen. I was about to say Kadeem Allen. Wow. 35-minute-a-night uh, <laughs> type of guy that was supposed to be the leading scorer, or close to a leading scorer, and giving them a lot of help. And now we don't see that. And Michigan State, I think their bigs are good, like always. Nick Ward is getting better. Um, but they go as Josh Langford goes. And if he's making shots, they'll be fine. Um, but yeah, I, I personally think Florida should be a lot better than they are. Yeah, Florida's an interesting team. Like you said, Jalen Hudson, I mean, he was averaging 27 minutes last year. Uh, and now played 15 minutes. Michigan State against West Virginia played six minutes. Like, uh, supposedly, been- so the report was that he doesn't, well, I don't want to like say anything bad about him, but what, what the report was from, I think it was from ESPN when they were calling the game was that he doesn't practice the way that it's expected of him to. And uh, coach white thought that the only way to show him that he needs to become a better practice player was to not let him play in games until he can prove he wants to practice hard. So that's where like the decrease in minutes comes from. I don't know if that's a fact or not. I don't want to say anything bad about Jalen Hudson, but that's just what I heard. Yeah. Yeah, it's unfortunate because he's got a ton of talent. Uh, I think him and um, Kavon Allen could be special, especially in the in the backcourt. Um, Kavon Allen just has to be more consistent, I think. Yeah. Uh, he he has games of three points like he did against Butler, um, and then he has 19 against West Virginia. Uh, just needs to be more consistent, especially with his shot. I mean, he's, he's really struggling with his shot right now in the last few games. I mean, he's – Past two games, he shot six for 16 uh, from three. So, I mean, just getting better shots, um, better looks. And then um, Andrew Nemhard, he's got a – he's another guy just has been inconsistent for them. I think that's the, the key to the season so far is finding that consistency where they're all playing well together at the same time. Rather than yeah, I think Nemhard's been – if you can call him a bright spot, their only bright spot. I think he's as a freshman and their primary ball handler and basically playing close to the most minutes on the team. Uh, RJ Barrett's high school teammate too. Shout out RJ Barrett. You're welcome. Uh, but yeah, just got, well, we were talking about big 10. So I figured I got to get Duke in there somehow. Of course. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I think he'll, I think he's going to be a really good point guard. Florida, if you think of like Chris Gioza, uh, Casey Hill, Nick Johnson, I'll think of more eventually. But uh, you didn't like mine. Dave, what? Nick Johnson. Nope. He was in Arizona. Arizona. Oh, um. <laughs> Zingers. Blooper reel. <laughs> Who's uh? Who was the same time as Nick Johnson? I always got him mixed up. He has a brother now that plays. Yeah, I got nothing. <sighs> I'll think of it. Keep going. Yeah, we'll, we'll get there by the, the end of this show. Sure. Um, we at least got a good blooper. But, yeah, <laughs> anyways, that's enough about Florida and Michigan State. Uh, do you want to talk about your alma mater or do you want to just leave that for another time? No, I, think we should, uh, I think we should talk about it. 
Um, all right. Was all pumped up with Georgetown. Um, that's my alma mater. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> We're going to make you guess, but it's all right. Yeah. Georgetown's first half against Syracuse was all pumped up about it. Went and jumped in the shower, came back, and all of a sudden <laughs> it was a tie game, and they looked like crap. <laughs> um, really disappointing. Um, end to that game, I thought they played really, really well the first half, and then got complacent, let Syracuse hit it, let Syracuse hit shots, let uh, Ty's battle get going, which is never a good idea. Um, and lost him on a tough break. I mean, Tyus Bellis hit a tough shot. You can't blame Jacob Mosley, um, Jesse Govan for contesting that, but um, it was a tough shot, tough loss in a tough environment. Would you? Would you think? Yeah, I thought one thing that he could definitely take is that the, the freshman uh, exceeded expectations. I think Mac McClung looked awesome, especially in the first half. Uh, didn't get enough of a chance, in my opinion, to play in the second half. I think Akinjo is their best freshman. I think he's going to be an absolute superstar. Uh, he just has all the tools to be a really, really, really good point guard, especially in college. Um, and Jesse Govan is a freak. I don't know how he makes some of the shots he does, but he's special. Uh, and and Syracuse always does this where like, so they were down 35-22 at halftime, and then Syracuse comes out and puts up 50 in the second half. First half, they couldn't hit the hoop from a layup perspective, and then the second half, they can't miss. I don't know how they do it. They're the only team in the college basketball that has a disadvantage at playing at home. They suck <laughs> shooting in the dome, just like all the other teams that play there. But they always get high at some at some spurt, and then all of a sudden it's a tie game or they're winning or whatever. And Tyus Battle is potentially the clutchest player in college basketball. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind he was making that. I can't believe he took a double clutch at the top of the key when he had a little bit more time to get something better, but I had no doubt he was going to make that. Yeah, and then um, now I can't remember who took the last, last second he for Georgetown, but hit back rim. I yeah, it was close. <laughs> I had it. I thought that was in. Um, but yeah, like you were saying with Jesse Govan, he just has such touch around the rim. Um, it's not like, even just around the rim; it's like almost well, all the three point line. Yeah, I mean, his he's got such a soft shot, um, puts it up there, had, gives it a chance to go in every single time, um, and he's really worked. Um, I was there a few years ago, his sophomore year. Um, he was coming off the bench behind Bradley Hayes, who was basically a seven foot post, like a physical post. He just didn't move much. Um, at all. And Jessica Van was stuck behind him, even though he had so much more talent. Um, and then last year really emerged, um, but really worked on his, on his touch, on his shot. Um, I really love when they move it around and you just get an open three at the top of the key. Um, I think he's really dangerous there. Um, I think the next step is for him to put the ball on the floor and get to the rim from there. But, yeah, I mean, with him, he's going to get his 20 and 10 um, just about every night. I think it comes down to uh, McClung being more patient offensively when his shot's not going. Like in the second half, he's got to be patient. Um, I think 11 threes is too many for him in one game, mm -hmm. especially when he's only hit three. Um that was the problem. He started out so hot. I think he started out three for four, and then it just yeah. – that's when you're like, oh, wow, I'm on fire, and then all of a sudden you're 0 for 7. You're like, what the heck? 
Yeah, I think he's got to do a better job of getting to the foul line. Um, he took five free throws, but I think he drives and gets out of control a little too often. Um, the refs are sort of reluctant to call a foul. Uh, there was one time at the end of the first half, he sort of went full court, got a shot absolutely punched um, because he just went out of control and just sort of jumped into somebody and threw a shot up. So if he's in more control, I think they can be really good. But, yeah, Ajinko is going to be um, an All-American for sure in the next couple of years. He just does everything right. Um, and then Syracuse, I don't like how they have Dolage in the middle. Uh, on, on defense, he just gets sort of... Especially when Jesse Govan's in there. I thought that was weird he played so much in the middle um, against Govan. Like, he's... I don't I don't know if it was an actual injury, but I know that Sidibe, or Sidibe got... I think he got poked in the eye or something, and he didn't play a whole lot afterwards. And then once Chukwu fouled out, it was just Dolzhai. So I don't know if that was why or if they... If Beheim thought that was the best idea, but it definitely wasn't the best idea. <laughs> Honestly, I would almost want Brissett in the middle over. Dolan. Yeah, I think I think Brissett should absolutely play a five for them, like way more than he does. I know that that zone is predicated on some big guy in the center, some seven-two plus guy every year. But like, first of all, they struggle to score, and having a seven-foot-two guy that couldn't see the hoop or hit the hoop if he tried is never going to help that. So. If you put Brissett in the middle and then throw in another guard like Kerry or Elijah Hughes or anybody, that just gets it a lot better. Yeah, I think they need to be more mobile and embrace this new basketball where you have your five being able to dribble and shoot the ball. I think they could be really dangerous if they do that offensively um, because they can shoot the ball. (laughs) Right now, they they have guards who struggle to shoot, so when you bring in a 7-3 center that can't shoot at all, um, that shrinks the court. So I think it would be a lot more fun to see them go small and use their their length, their wingspan to defend. Um, but, yeah, I think that's plenty on Syracuse. Yeah, you know, that was one word with more than enough. <laughs> Is there any other games you want to cover from Saturday? Uh, no, I think that's good. Just uh, that was your taste of college basketball for one Saturday and get ready for that for the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah. so we'll uh, take a quick break here um, and then get right into the Big Ten teams. All right, so we're going to start talking about the Big Ten. Um, The four teams that we're going to cover today, um, we're going to get into Purdue, Maryland, Iowa, and Nebraska. Um, some dark horse teams there, some ranked teams, some teams on the slide, some teams on the rise. Um, give you a little bit of everything going on in the Big Ten. Um, who are you most excited to talk about? Uh, today, overall, I'm most excited to talk about Nebraska, but with Purdue, I'm most excited to talk about Carson Edwards because we talked about it a little bit before when we broke down ACC Big Ten Challenge uh, when they played Virginia Tech, but Carson Edwards is a legit player of the year candidate. Um, that should be, in my opinion, an All-American. Uh, and if you took them off Purdue, they might win 10 games this year, maybe. I don't even know if they would win that much. Um, I'm sure his usage percentage and everything will back this up, that Michael will give you in a minute. But 
he's averaging 25 and a half points a night, which in college is equivalent to like an NBA player averaging 35 to 40. Um, uh, he obviously his assist numbers aren't crazy high just as a point guard, uh, because he's shooting so much, but he doesn't really have a choice with this team. He has to score a lot in order to keep them competitive. Uh, the one big good sign for him, I guess this year is he's shooting almost 40% from three. Um, I've been worried in the past that I didn't think he was the most consistent three-point shooter, but so far this year, he's looked really good with that. Uh, and then just one other person that I kind of whiffed on when we talked about the ACC Big Ten again, Evan Boudreau is the kid I was talking about that is a transfer from Dartmouth. Uh, one of my friends actually went to Dartmouth and told me when this kid was transferring that wherever he goes, he was going to be a stud. And I kind of laughed it off like, yeah, right. He's <laughs> from Dartmouth. Dartmouth hasn't won a basketball game and since I was born almost. Uh, so, like, I just didn't agree. But if you watch them, I'm telling you this kid is legit really good. Um, he only plays 18 minutes a game right now. But I'm telling you by the end of the year, he will be starting over Matt Harms. So those those are the two guys that I really like with Purdue, Carson Edwards and Evan Boudreaux. Yeah. Yeah, I mean – Boudreaux has been a surprise for them, for sure. I think that was a good grab. Um, shout out to their recruiting or scouting, um, finding him as a grad transfer, or a transfer, let alone grad transfer. <laughs> um, does a lot of things good. Um, doesn't do anything spectacular, but just is a, a great glue guy for a college team. Um, and, and does a lot when, he has, when he's on the floor. Um, I mean, he's responsible uh, for around 24 to 28% of the possession used. Uh, so he's he's a high-usage type of guy, um, doing different things, rebounding, passing, um, hitting open shots. So I like him a lot. But like we were talking about earlier, the, the, their go-to guy, Carson Edwards, he's li- literally taking 40% of their shots. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's hard to find That's a lot. That's, that's a ton. <laughs> um <laughs> And what's just, what's more shocking is that there's four people that take more shots um, in the country <laughs> for their teams. He only ranks fifth with that that percentage of shots. Um, but yeah, like you're saying, he's really knocking down the threes at a high rate. I mean, he's already taken 99 threes through 10 games. Wow! Um, so he's averaging nine point. That's a ton for college. That's a ton. Ton. I mean. He's taking 99 threes, um, 96 twos. The next most on the team is shot. Wow. Is taking 45 twos. Um, and then Ryan Klein, he, I mean, he just shoots threes. Um, he's taking 83. So that's even that's a ton. Um, but, yeah, Carson Edwards, I mean, he's taking 10 threes a game, hitting about three to four of them a game. So, I mean, that's, that's a lot. And – He's not afraid to take a shot from 30 feet. He's not afraid to take a shot, period. But um, yeah. <laughs> I think he's, he's either going to dunk on your head or cross you over and hit three in your eye. Your choice. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking a little bit earlier uh, about how Carson Edwards is um, sort of like an Eric Bledsoe, but with a much better shot um, type of guy. Just real strong. Not, not necessarily tall, but we'll go up and with the with the trees and try to dunk on everybody. Um, but really, really good player. I, he's my national player, pick of, pick of the year. I think All-American first team, no, no question. Um, 
but as a team, they've been really struggling. Um, they've lost three of the last four um, against really good teams. I mean, they lost to Florida State, Michigan back-to-back, and then lost to Texas on Sunday. Um, all been pretty they tough games. Should have lost four in a row. Maryland had a coach, but we'll get there in a minute. Oh, won't we? <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> they beat Maryland by two. I've been playing a lot, a lot of close games. Um, Thanks to Carson Edwards. Yeah. Um, in their past six games, outside of Robert Morris, which was an absolute demolition of a college basketball team, um, all the games have really been within a few points. I mean, they they, they lost to Michigan pretty good, but um, I thought they played them hard. It's just when Carson Edwards isn't hitting shots, it's tough for them to win, let alone get close. Um, I mean, they're a team that lives and dies by the three with, obviously, Edwards and Ryan Klein just taking most of the threes. I mean, they're taking close to half their shots or threes. Yeah, and they're scoring. They get more of their points from three points, three-pointers than twos, which isn't a good good ratio to have, um, especially in the tournament, tournament time. Um, because if you're not hitting your threes and you haven't been able to get to the lane, get to the rim, get easy buckets – you're going to be putting up 40 points in the tournament because the just everything turns up in the in the tournament. Um, yeah, so they have basically with the, with the way they play, they start Nojel Eastern as their point guard, and you can kind of think of him like a, I guess like a not, not to the skill level, but the way that Marcus Smart plays kind of like doesn't really, well, not so much anymore, but didn't used to like to shoot threes or even take open threes too much. And just is a big body that tries to facilitate a little bit and plays good defense. So he's kind of, I don't want to say a waste, but like he doesn't help the offense a ton. And then they have Carson Edwards, Ryan Klein, Grady Eifert, and a couple other shooters that just literally run around trying to get open. Um, and then they either have Boudreaux, who's awesome, as I said, or Matt Harms, who kind of can't do a whole lot. He can hit an occasional face-up jumper and get some rebounds, but I'm not a huge fan of his. Uh, so that leaves basically just Carson Edwards that can get his own shot. Occasionally Boudreaux, but you're not really looking to your center to get his own shot. So, like, I can't believe it's only 40% that Carson Edwards uh, is taking shots, but I honestly think that number almost needs to be higher in order for them to get better. Yeah, well, I think if you take out games, the first four games, uh, which were all huge double-digit victories in the Robert Morris game. I think he's closer to 50 60% of the shots, um, especially in the second half. I would, I would be interested to dive into the second-half numbers for Carson Edwards. In a close game, I don't see anyone touching the ball except for him. Uh, I think that's great for Carson Edwards, uh, but as far as Purdue's long-term success, it's going to be tough for them. Uh, Harms is going to have to be a lot better than he has been. Um, he's got to be uh, almost like an Isaac Haas from was it last year, a few years ago. Just a big yeah, body down true. there, getting rebounds, putting things back, scoring more than he has. Uh, he's just—he's a good energy player off the bench, like a 15-minute a night guy. But he is not a starting center at any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I'm just saying for Purdue to. To, 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 oh yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. They need a lot more out of him. 
Uh, Boudreaux's, I think, sort of at his peak of what he can uh, yep. sort of bring to the table. And then um, they just have to have their shooters consistently knocking down shots. Klein, um, Eifert, Wheeler. I mean, these guys got to be hitting shots. Um, Specifically, Klein takes a lot of J.J. Redick-type shots where, like, it's you almost want to say, what the heck? Like, why would you ever think to shoot that? And at least J.J. makes them, but, like, Klein hasn't made a ton of them yet, this year at least. Yeah, I mean, Klein's, he's taking 83. Um, and, I mean, he's hitting 32 of them, so he's shooting 38, 39% isn't terrible uh, but like you said the quality of the shot the timing of the shot what he's taking them during the game I think it's what he needs to improve on um, and then defensively I mean they're not they're a good team defensive team they don't outside of Eastern uh, don't really have a one-on-one shutdown type of guy uh, play really well defensively um, force teams into tough shots especially Gets gets them to shoot a lot of threes, um, but I think they're susceptible for teams like Michigan to sort of run away with them. Virginia Tech putting up eighty nine points, um, Florida State scoring seventy three. Uh, they have that in them where they can't necessarily turn the team over, uh, and then they can't stop somebody. Um, one-on-one, so other teams will get the shots that they want. What do you think their defense is like? Yeah, I like their defense a little bit, uh, with the, specifically with the guards. Like, I think Carson is really good, def- well, a pretty solid defender, and I think Eastern's a good defender too. Um, and then Harms can protect the paint, but I think their wings are pretty susceptible to getting beat. Uh, I don't – I guess the only, like, legit wing they've played so far – has really just been Charles Matthews from Michigan and Nikhil Alexander-Walker from Virginia Tech also. Um, so I, I'm interested to see what's going to happen when they face like a guy like Romeo Langford uh, or yeah. uh, Josh Josh Langford even from Michigan State. But they did draw a little bit of a short end of the stick in the Big Ten with having to face Indiana twice, Ohio State twice, Maryland twice, Nebraska twice, and Michigan State twice. Um, that's not ideal by any stretch. Luckily, they only have to play Michigan once, but still. Um, they should, I personally think they'll go unscathed the rest of the way these next three games uh, before conference play starts up again for the Big Ten. Uh, if you're wondering why Big Ten has already played two conference games, they've switched their conference schedule from 18 games to 20, so to fit the two games in, they had to throw them at the beginning of December. Seems to be a massive success for people so far just because we're getting good conference games early on in December, which is a lot of fun to watch instead of watching uh, cupcake type games. But yeah, they're, they're going to have a tough time. I think in the big 10 with those teams, they drew twice. And I think they're going to be fighting for quality wins coming into the year to get into the tournament because they lost to Virginia tech, lost to Florida state, lost to Michigan, lost to Texas. And those are, they're, pretty much their only opportunities out of conference to get uh, quality wins. Yeah, I think they're going to have to split with Maryland. Uh, They're going to have to beat Michigan State once uh, and beat Nebraska to to have a shot at the tournament. I mean, it is a really tough schedule for them. 
that's a lot of good teams to play, especially when you have a stretch of Michigan State, Wisconsin, have sort of a break with Rutgers, but Rutgers is still a solid team. Then going to Indiana, Ohio State, Michigan State, like they're going to have tough Yikes. stretches, especially in the middle of the season, the, that January time where your legs get heavy. Um, you're coming off of double sessions when school's out. So it's it's tough in college um, during that January time frame. So you're going to have to sneak out some wins there for sure. Um, I'm good with Purdue. You're good with Purdue. Yeah. I mean, it's Carson Edwards University right now. So. <laughs> Literally. Absolutely. Um, so we'll move on to um, Iowa, who's been really impressive so far. Uh, they've had a lot of good wins so already, uh, being Oregon, UConn. Um, Ball still close one with uh, Wisconsin, um, but beat Iowa State, which was a big win. Um, what do you think about them so far? Yeah, they they always go as an unthought of type of team in the Big Ten. Uh, but Fran McCaffrey always gets his guys ready to rock. Uh, they do have a pretty solid team. Um, Tyler Cook, I think, is, is a special player. Luca Garza is a guy that nobody's going to talk about, but I think by the time he's a senior, he's going to get legit NBA looks. Um, and then Jordan Bohannon's a good shooter, pretty solid guard. Uh, and then uh, McCaffrey's son, Connor, is uh, finally healthy again on the team. Um, he was pretty highly touted, uh, when he was like a 12 year old and, uh, when, when his dad was still at Siena, but, uh, he's, he's a good scorer. He's a good shooter. He's a big body that can definitely help. And I think the more that he gets reacclimated coming off injury last year, where he missed pretty much the whole season, uh, he'll be able to, to help this team a little bit more, but sort of like Purdue, not nearly the same level, but Tyler Cook is basically what Iowa does. Um, they kind of go as he goes, uh, averaging 16 and a half and eight rebounds right now. Um, if you look at some of their bigger games, uh, like you said, the Oregon game and the UConn game, he had 26 against UConn. Uh, he had 19 against Wisconsin, 15 against Michigan State, 26 against Iowa State. So when they're playing better competition, he's always their leading scorer, which kind of just shows you he, he is the go-to guy. Um, I think they also are going to have a little bit of a tough time with getting into the tournament, but their Big Ten schedule is considerably easier than uh, Purdue. The heck Purdue, yep. Um <laughs> Yeah, their their schedule is a little bit easier. It's still a Big Ten. It's conference play is never hard, never easy in any conference. But um, yeah, I, I do think they're a tournament capable team. Seven and two so far has been pretty impressive. With the close loss to Wisconsin, the blowout at Michigan State, but tough place to play, tough situation. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what I got. <laughs> no, I, I do. I really like this Ohio team. Um, Ohio team, Iowa. Yep. Hey, it's all right. I, I didn't know who we just talked about 30 seconds ago. <laughs> Welcome back. And here we are back to NBA University. Uh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, I really do like this team. Tyler Cook, uh, I, I like as a player, um, has a negative assist to turnover ratio right now. Um, but I just that just comes with the volume. 
Um, he's responsible for 25% of 26% of the possessions, whether that's a point assist rebound, something along those lines um, that will come, especially as a forward, um, you're catching the ball and having to do something with it rather than initiating. Um, Luka Garza, I really like him. Like you said, he's going to be, as a senior, he's going to definitely get some looks. He's a big dude, 6'11", 245, um, but just does does well with the ball, um, gets his shots up. Um, between Garza, Cook, and um, totally blanking on it now. Um, Isaiah Moss, here we are. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's a great trio right there as far as taking shots. Um, and then they, they spread it out between everyone else pretty well. But Hannon, like you said, um, good shooter. Uh, Joe Weiskamp and Connor McCaffrey, just bodies out there that can are capable of scoring. Um, and once McCaffrey sort of gets back to it, I think he'll be very good for them. But they're, they're just a really well-run team with McCaffrey, uh, Fran McCaffrey as a coach. Uh, they assist on 58% of their field goals they're made. Um, so that's a huge number. Uh, and I think that's a testament to them playing a good team style. Uh, they do a lot of things well. Um, they rebound offensively really well. Um, they got a big team. So, I mean, outside of Bahannon, Everyone's basically six five or taller. Uh, so I mean, they got a solid team defensively. I think they're they're decent. Uh, they can they can keep improving defensively, especially once they get into conference play. The energy level sort of goes up when you start playing conference guys. Uh, but I think they have a lot of potential. Feels like a nine seed to me in the tournament. Yeah, they've had. Four guys, as four different guys, be the leading scorer in nine games so far. So, like you said, they have a good trio plus a few that can go off every now and again. The only reason I keep saying Bohannon is because, as a freshman, I saw him hang thirty on Maryland at Maryland in the game. Like, nobody even knew who he was, and then all of a sudden, the net didn't even wiggle when he shot every time. Uh, so he has his jumpers ingrained in my brain, but I they. They have plenty of talent that I think can get them to the tournament. I just recently Iowa's always been a surprising team. Like they had Peter Drock a couple of, the last couple of years, and I always thought they should have been better than they were. Um, so I'm kind of waiting to see that Sienna type uh, Brand McCaffrey of old get these guys somewhere in the tournament. But I think this year would be the year that they have a legit chance. I just really like Garza and and Tyler Cook as a combo inside. Yeah, for sure. And I really like the fact that they bring back um, just about 72% of their minutes from last year. I think that plays a huge deal, especially in conference Not exactly, play. but just about. Well, 71.6, if you want to get exact. <laughs> I round up. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they've played well for a long time together. Um, and I think that'll come in handy in those dog days of January, like I was saying before. It's tough. I mean, you you come off Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday games, Wednesday games. Your legs are tired. You're practicing in between. You're traveling a ton. Um, it's going to be a dog. It's just going to be terrible on your legs. And I think playing so many minutes together, they'll understand that. 
and get some wins that will be surprising. Uh, I mean, it's the Big Ten's tough, and when you're playing teams like Penn State away in the middle of January um, and have to go home to all, Illinois, Michigan State, and, and to, to Minnesota, I mean, you're all over the country um, and playing tough teams in tough environments. So I like them. I like them as the tournament team. I think they're, uh, they're bringing back so many guys from last year will, will help lead them to the tournament. Um, which brings us to your future alma mater. Roll Terps, one more semester. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, what do you think about these guys with no bias included? <laughs> yeah, you know I don't have any bias. <laughs> the, the kid I was biased with isn't here anymore. So, yeah. uh, All right, so Maryland, I've said this before, but Maryland's a really young team. Basically, Anthony Cowan Jr., who's a junior, uh, and Bruno Fernando, who's a sophomore, are and Daryl Marcel, but mostly those two I just mentioned are the only two options that return that are playing legit minutes. Daryl does start and play 26 minutes also, um, but he's more of a complimentary, like, rebound, defend. Glue guy. The glue guy type of piece that everyone needs, obviously, but doesn't have uh, as much of a huge impact as Anthony and Bruno do. Anthony has to play close to perfect, it seems like so far, in order for Maryland to to win games. And I think that he is struggling because of that. I think Anthony's a really good basketball player, but right now he's having a hard time figuring out how to he, he doesn't he hasn't found the the mix of how to get other people involved but also get himself involved in the game yet. And I think once he finds that with this new team, as this this season goes on, Maryland's going to take a big jump. But Bruno is you you say the same thing. I know Bruno's a legit lottery type of guy. I think at least um, he has a nice touch, just like nice touch around the rim, nice jump shot. He's actually I think he's one of two from three this year. He just hit one in the last game. I wish he'd shoot more because he's got a really nice jumper. Um, but he breaks the rim every time he dunks. He blocks people like they just said something about his mom. Like he's a freak. Jalen Smith hasn't quite had the impact I thought he would have yet, but I still think he's figuring it out. He's got a really skinny frame um, that I think he's starting to get used to the feeling of getting banged around in the paint uh, in, co- in big level college basketball. Um, but yeah, then they have a couple of freshmen, uh, Aaron Wiggins, Eric Ayala, Sorrell uh, Smith Jr., and Ricky Lindo that have gotten a decent amount of minutes for him. So far, Ayala hasn't had a huge impact, um, but I think he's he's going to become the primary ball handler as the season goes on so that they can have Anthony play more off guard, um, off the ball like Melo did, Melo Trimble did in his, uh, his last few years here. And then uh, Aaron Wiggins is currently the only shooter on the team. Anthony's struggling to hit some dunkers right now. I think he'll turn it around eventually, but Aaron Wiggins is catching fire of late. Um, he's taken 55 threes and made 22 of them. Honestly, his last like four games has been most of those threes. So while they are struggling right now, and luckily did get a Big Ten win against Penn State, but um, I think by the end of the year, Maryland's going to be a team that a lot of people aren't going to want to play. Yeah, I think they have a lot of talent all around the court. 
um, starting with the inside. Um, and I just want to tell a quick story about Bruno. Uh, I think you remember this. Um, the first time I ever saw him was standing in a coffee shop, and it was alumni weekend for Maryland. Standing there, and I saw this guy standing next to me, and Bruno, 6'10". I was like, oh, wow, this dude's huge. I was like, oh, this this must be a guy from a few years ago. <laughs> And later that night, we went to their little hype. What, what is that? The Midnight Madness? Yeah. Um, and they introduced him. Like, oh, my God, that's him. <laughs> and he was a freshman. That was when he was a freshman. True freshman. <laughs> yeah. So um, I know the team always made jokes about him, actually, how old he was. Um, but, yeah, he is a sophomore. Um, and he has incredible talent. He's definitely a lottery pick, um, if not top ten. He has a lot of um, – He's going to be very special, I think. He just keeps improving. Uh, I know we talked about this before, maybe a month or two ago, um, but his improvement over that month since we last talked about it was incredible. And I think he has the potential to be a starting center in the NBA and even make some all-star games. Um, so I think with him there, Anthony Cowan, really good penetrator. I think if he focuses more on just getting into the paint and then dropping it off, um, I think he'll get himself going while he gets everyone else going. Sort of how Westbrook sort of takes games in the beginning, getting Steven Adams involved, getting Jeremy Grant involved, Paul George. And then as the second quarter comes along, third quarter comes along, he starts getting himself going. If he sort of learns that, that pattern, um, he can be very dangerous. But yeah, this team... I think can be really, really good. Uh, Aaron Wiggins and Ayala, they uh great shooters for them. I think both shooting 40% right now. Um, if they can play inside out all year, get some penetration, um, and let Jalen Smith and Bruno dominate the paint and then just play solid team defense the way they do. Uh, like you said, they're, they're a team that can be scary, scary in the tournament for sure. Yeah, they have the well, what I think is one of the best combinations, and they have two awesome big guys that I think could star on any college basketball team this year. And then they also have decent shooters and Anthony and Wiggins and occasionally Eric Ayala that you can play such nice inside-out basketball. If Bruno gets doubled, kick it out to one of those guys, and they should be open. Uh, in the game against Loyola Chicago recently. Uh, when Bruno was doubled, Jalen Smith flashed the foul line and made like three straight foul line jumpers, and that quickly ended the double team by Loyola. Um, I they should have beaten Purdue. They had Purdue beat uh, literally the whole game, controlled every aspect of the game, and because of a few dumb decisions by a coach that we will not name, they ended up losing that game by two. Um, I think. Turgeon's an awesome recruiter, but I don't think he gets it when it comes to basketball too much. Uh, I think Maryland should be better than they are currently. I know they're a young team, but the last few years I've thought the same thing because they've had plenty of talent and haven't done a whole lot with it. When I got to campus, Maryland was the number two team in the country with uh, Diamond Stone, Melo Trimble, Rashid Suleiman, Rob Carter Jr., and they ended that season as a five seed and lost in the Sweet 16, I think, which is fine. Sweet 16 lost, whatever. It was the number one seed in Kansas. Um, but starting the season as a 
number two team in the country and then ended up as a five seed is not very good. Uh, and then the year after that, made the tournament as a six seed, lost in the first round to Xavier. Last year didn't make the tournament, and this year they better make the tournament. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this they have. I wish he spent the entire summer watching um, the Thunder play when they had Ennis Cantor and Stephen Adams playing on the floor at the same time. Um, yeah. Not that Bruno and Jalen play the same way those two guys do, but having two traditional bigs on the floor at the same time, um, how Billy Donovan was able to run that offense. I guess that was Scott Brooks at the time. Um, it was sort of both of them. But running those two together, um, because Jalen Smith, he'll take an outside jumper, but is, he's got a funky release. Um, yeah, he's fouling an in type of guy yeah, right now. At least yeah. he should be fouling an in type of guy. I mean, he's taking 14 threes. He's probably 12 too many. Um I think he should trade with Bruno. Bruno should shoot more than Jalen. Yeah, I mean Bruno's got a he's got um, the form of a good shot. I just don't think he trusts it right now. Um, once he gets confident in that, he can be really, really dominant. But I think working those two guys together, um, I think they're both skilled enough to put the ball on the floor. So even seeing a pick and roll with just those two, get some college bigs playing a pick and roll together uh, I think and um, get some good options out of that but yeah I mean they're, they're a team that should be a three seed um, but we'll see how that that goes with coach um, and his sim- simplistic offense I think this team needs more not necessary plays but a little more read options they, they could use some plays too yeah well we've talked about that <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, we're we're good. Yeah, let's move on to the other red team. Um, <laughs> a team I'm much more excited about right now. Yeah, this team we we're talking about it before. They do so much. So this is Nebraska, by the way. Well, yeah, Nebraska is is an exciting team this year. Um, bring back a lot of guys, have a lot of experience, mostly seniors, juniors that are playing. Um. But I mean, they do a ton of things well. Uh, what do you What do you think about these guys? Yeah, so when you watch Nebraska play, look for the guys that have junior on the back of their jersey because those are that those three guys are studs. Um, specifically, James Palmer Jr. I think is a flat out superstar. I think he's like a Wesley a one dude type guy that nobody will ever talk about in college, and then he gets to the pros and has an actual impact on the team. Um, he can go for 30 any given night. There's a pretty funny video of when they played uh, Creighton over the weekend of uh, Glenn Watson Jr. and James Palmer Jr. sitting at the announcer's table and talking about how they didn't realize James had 30. So I highly suggest watching that if you want to laugh for a couple seconds. But yeah, James Palmer Jr., Isaac Copeland, Glenn Watson Jr., and Isaiah Roby, as I told Michael before, it's pretty much those four guys and you can throw in whoever else you want with them and they're going to get something good done. Um, Palmer and Watson's the prototypical, uh, pr- like pretty much perfect college point guard. If you ask me, he will get you into whatever you need to be getting into. He'll always find the open player and he can also score it a little bit. James Palmer is your go-to scorer. Go get the shot that you need. Go get the bucket that to put you up by one late in the game. Um, and then Isaac Copeland, who Michael will talk a little bit more about, but 
he's a perfect like he's like an O'Shea Brissett kind of guy, like long, lanky, athletic, stretch four that really could be a three that just is knows how to play basketball. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a he's a good player. He's been around a while, four years senior. Um, feels like longer. Um, yeah, seriously, it feels like six. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, he just tends to make the right play. Um, doesn't assist much just because being a forward, um, especially with Glenn Watson on the floor, you're not tasked with making plays for others. You're, you're sort of on the receiving end. Um, turns it over a little bit, but not not terribly too much, um, but just does a lot of things well. Rebounds, knocks down an open three. Um, him and Isaiah Roby, I think, are their um, – are their, their key players, I think, moving forward. Um, James Palmer is going to be great no matter what. Um, he's shooting 30% of their shots. But, I mean, he does – he hits his free throws. He shoots well from the field. Um, he's just doing really well. Enough said about him. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, Copeland, Roby, they're, they're huge to their success here. Um, I mean, as a team – they shoot the ball really well. Their effective field goal percentage is 56%, um, which takes into account scoring more points for a three-pointer. Um, they take care of the ball, and then they make you turn make you turn the ball over. So um, can't say enough about how well they play as a team. The, the biggest downfall for them is that they legit have four players. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, Brady Heitman, Thomas Allen, they'll play a little bit. Um, I don't know how to say Eckenton. Eckenton. Um, he's the other, other guy that might play some, some minutes. Um, but they, they really are very reliant on those first four guys. Um, that can be troublesome, especially in a tough, tough conference that they'll lose games they should win. Um, I can see them losing to Rutgers um, on the road. Just games. I mean, they already lost to Minnesota on the road in a game they probably shouldn't have lost. Right. So, I mean, having four guys that are carrying the entire team um, is going to set back for them. I really want them to make the tournament because what they get in the tournament, I don't think that will matter as much as conference play. Because um, they're going to be a fun team to watch in the tournament. They're going to be like a six seed, six, seven seed um, that could make a run for sure. Seriously, they if they don't make the tournament, something's really wrong because they have about as easy of a schedule as the Big Ten could give them. Uh, they play Michigan once. They play Wisconsin once. They play Ohio State once. Uh, the only good team they play twice, or really good team they play twice, is Michigan State. Um, but and they only play Indiana once. But I will say that they have to come out really hot in the Big Ten because they end the season at Michigan, at Michigan State, and then home against Iowa. And if they, if they're relying on any of those three games to get into the tournament, they might have a problem. But I think their schedule sets up nicely for them. They already have a good win at Clemson. They have a good win against Seton Hall. So there's two and and Creighton. So there's three resume wins. Uh, not a great loss at Minnesota, but again, on the road in conference play, 
only by seven, could be worse. Um, but they got hammered by Texas Tech. Yeah, that was an ugly loss. So, I mean, Texas Tech is ranked, I think, 11th in the new AP poll. Um, they oh. play Duke, by the way, in a week, which we'll talk about later on. But uh, that that could be a bad loss by the end of the year, but also hopefully it won't be that bad of a loss. Either way, can't be losing by 20 to anybody. Um, but, yeah, I think I think their schedule sets up nicely. I think their roster sets up nicely for a tournament uh, team and possibly a, a second weekend tournament team. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they, they made a Sweet 16 run. Um, they have the talent for it. They just have to sort of get the right matchups and be clicking at the right time. Um, but, yeah, that, that wraps up our Big Ten team so far. Um, gave you a lot of good insight on that. We'll take a quick break here and then jump back into the NBA. All right, so before we get into the NBA, we're going to give you our picks for college basketball, and then I'm going to give Michael a trade to evaluate. Uh, Michael gets the honor of going first with the picks because I have been stone cold, couldn't hit water if I fell out of a boat right now. <laughs> and somebody else, on the other hand, is 4-0. That's not a jinx because I got all the faith in the world in them. And so what's your pick for this week? Yeah, so I'm going to go a little outside the box here. Um, and I'm going to look at the Northern Colorado-San Diego um, matchup on Saturday. Um, spreads aren't out yet, um, but I would imagine it's going to be San Diego by, I would say, seven and a half. Um, I'm going to take both San Diego – seven and a half and the over, which I believe the over is going to be around 155. Um, these two teams really can score the ball. Um, both are consistently in the eighties and nineties touch the hundreds um, and really play well. Um, both got guys averaging over 20 points a game, but I like San Diego at home by seven and a half and the over. What do you got? All right, so in case you couldn't tell, Wells a little dry this week. Uh, we got finals week for all these schools, or most of these schools, so they don't really schedule uh, anybody until Saturday. So that's why we're kind of reaching and trying to figure out our own spreads and everything because we don't want to pick the atrocity that is Monday and Tuesday's games. Um, so I'm going to go with two teams you've heard of before, <laughs> um, and I'm going to go to the North Carolina-Gonzaga game. Uh, Gonzaga coming off a loss to Tennessee – um, they played decent. Tennessee is just a solid team also. Uh, and North Carolina is a team that hasn't impressed anybody yet. Um, at North Carolina, I think that's going to make the spread around one and a half. I'll say two and a half in favor of Gonzaga. Um, and I think Gonzaga's post presence with Clark and, uh, Rui is just going to dominate North Carolina. I'm literally chomping at the bit to watch Luke May try to guard Rui. I think that's going to be a lot of fun for a Duke fan. Um, so I got Gonzaga in that one. Yeah. Uh, hopefully I'll be able to win a game here. Yeah, you're right. It's, it might it's be getting another, embarrassing. It might be another drought for you this weekend, but if anybody, if anybody wants to do a podcast, Michael's looking for a new co-host. So <laughs> send them an email. Um, but all right. So now, so now I'll get you a trade. Um, I'm going to try to keep this to a team we talked about. So I haven't told you much about this yet, but Javon Quinterly is one of my favorite players. Uh, as a freshman, who's the should be the starting point guard for Villanova, but doesn't get to play a whole lot. 
kind of the same way as PJ Washington. I feel like if he was more of a impact or was more of a factor, he'd have a big impact on the team. I'm going to trade him to Purdue for Matt Harms to try to get a big bodied center for Villanova to help them in the paint and to give Carson Edwards a legit true point guard that will help him and take some of the pressure off of him. Wow. So as you guys know, we don't tell each other our trades and, um, I like this one. I think Purdue would really benefit from having another another ball handler, another guy that can get into the offense and take some pressure off Carson Edwards. And then Villanova, I think, outside of Pascal, I mean, they don't they don't have much um, down low. And just I think Jay Wright would get a ton out of Matt Harms. Um, just get him moving around, playing well with Pascal. Just bring the injury guy with with huge size. That would be a lot of fun. I like that one. Okay, sweet. Let's see if we can get one of those two guys to step up like PJ did this week. <laughs> there you go. Um, All right, so NBA time? Yeah, we'll jump into the NBA like every week we do. One Eastern Conference team, one Western Conference team. Um, we'll start in the East. Um, start with we're going to do Orlando Magic. Um, sort of a surprise so far this year. Um, they're 12 and 14 right now. Um, started a lot, a little bit better than that. Um, but right now they'd be the eighth seed. Um, so I, I really like what they've been doing. Steve Clifford, um, first season there, um, just has a ton of defenders on this team. Uh, they have, um, Aaron Gordon, uh, Jonathan Isaac, Mo Bamba, um, Jonathan Simmons, Wesley Onwondo. I mean, these guys are just lengthy defenders. Um, sort of reminds me of a Milwaukee team that just has length. Um, and then we'll figure out the offense from there. DJ Augustine's been really good for them. Sort of a veteran ball handler um, with Jerry and Grant backing him up. Um, never been a huge Jerry and Grant guy, but I think he's good for this team. Um, just another defender out there. And then Aaron Gordon's really been sort of carrying the load offensively, um, getting set up with uh, DJ Augustine um, getting help from Terrence Ross, uh, Jonathan Simmons, guys like that. Um, Am I talking or are you talking? <laughs> you can talk since I started it already. <laughs> <laughs> Bloopers. Uh, all right. Let's have so, some fun with this one. <laughs> yeah. So when I think of Orlando, I think of team uh, – basically the two words that come to my mind are athletic and long. Uh, if you can't tell, they have Mo Bamba, Jonathan Isaac. Do I need to keep going? Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they're really athletic. They got a lot of interesting pieces that just make your life miserable when you play them. Um, and then Fusevich has been huge so far. I think he's he's always been really good, and like nobody really ever thinks that he's that good, but – like averaging twenty one and eleven is pretty freaking good for a guy that nobody ever heard of. If you don't really religiously follow basketball, um, and the one thing I did want to point out that was surprising to me when I looked at the stats was Aaron Gordon shooting thirty eight percent from three. Yeah, I mean he's put in tons and tons of work on a shot. Um, he's been really good for them. Uh, he's improved much more than I thought he was um, when they took him fourth. I thought it was a good pick. It's just I was worried um, 
he was just so raw at that point. Um, freak, freak athlete. Um, showed him in the dunk contest. Um, but he does. He's more than just an athlete. Uh, he puts in the work, and he can really be a special offensive player. And I said earlier that he's been carrying the load on offense. Um, mistakenly um, had forgotten about Vucevic at that point. Um, Vucevic is unreal this year. Um, just incredibly skilled. Um, really plays well in the post. Uh, I think his points per possession in the post is um, well above one, um, which is really, really impressive. That's much higher than 50% shooting. Um, that's really efficient for a post player because in basketball nowadays, um, running a play from the post is not not done much. Um, you don't have many guys that can do it. Um, but Vucevic is definitely the top of the league in posting up um, and scoring out of it. He's just a nightmare being 6'11", having touch, um, and has a go-to move and a counter move that makes you playing defense on him very tough. So I just, he's been a ton of fun to watch this year, putting up crazy numbers, 30-plus points, 10-plus rebounds, um, shooting 60%. It's just, um, this team's this team's a lot of fun to watch. Definitely one of the, my favorite league pass teams. Um, they just defend really well, get the ball out, and try to run efficient offense. Steve Clifford has them playing really well. Um, and I think this year in the draft, if they're able to get – another ball handler, playmaker. Um, this team has um, a lot of potential for sure. Um, definitely see them as a playoff team next year. Who do you think Who do you think would be a good fit for them? Being they'll probably be a lottery-type team, late lottery. I mean, even though, like, right now it doesn't look like it, I feel like they could use a shooter. Like, the, the, as a... When I look at the team, I don't think of them as anyone really as a shooter. I mean, Evan Fournier and Terrence Ross are probably the two best shooters, I would say. Um, but Fournier is only shooting, what, 32%. Uh, so I feel like they could use a shooter, which means now I have to think of a shooter that's going to be drafted early. Langford? <laughs> I, that's who, I feel like I, I'm like a freaking parrot over here just keep saying Langford every time somebody <laughs> wants a player, but... I mean, like, who doesn't want Ryan Langford? Yeah, I mean, I think Langford would be an interesting fit here. Um, yeah, I, I think shooting is definitely something they could use as a team. They're shooting 35%. Uh, not terrible, not great. I mean, they're sort of just middle-of-the-pack type of team there. And also, I think it should be illegal that they can't draft Nas Little because if they get another guy that's hands can touch the floor when he's standing up straight, <laughs> that should be a foul. Yeah, I mean – I wouldn't be surprised if they decide to go in that direction um, of just getting more length, uh, do something similar to Boston, just keep getting wings, um, work in a trade to get a, a, a lead ball handler, sign someone in free agency. Um, it seems like ball handlers are just a dime a dozen now. You just There's so many out there. Um, if you just keep getting length and getting wings, um, it's going to come together. Here, I'll also give you another one that stops sounding like a parrot. Uh, how about if we went with Quentin Grimes from Kansas? He's interesting just because he's been so bad, to put it bluntly. <laughs> um, he he has a ton of potential, but 
he's really showing how raw he is, I think, so far. Obviously, it's December and the end of the season's five months away, but four months away, he's still got a lot of time to show, but kind of been disappointed with him. I think he may fall down draft boards if he even stays into the draft. Um, All right, fine. Then I'll throw you another one. Uh, how about John Morant from Murray State? Dude, that just Ooh. stuffs the stat sheet. I think he's been showing. Uh, I think a lot of people have him going there um, in some early mocks. Um, I love Ja. He is he's awesome. As a freshman, he averaged 13, 7, well, 6.5 rebounds and 6 assists, and that's nearly unheard of. Yeah, he's he just does everything for you. Um, he's going to take Murray State as far as Murray State can go. Uh, I mean, that's a team that has had NBA players come out like Cam Campaign, uh, but Ja is just – uh, We said Campaign two weeks in a row. How do you feel about that? Yeah, it's <laughs> – Tough. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I would love Ja to get there. I think Orlando finish is too high for him because I think Ja's testing will show he's bigger than he looks. Um, he's more athletic than he looks, even though he looks unreal. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think I think Langford is probably the best bet. Maybe Alexander Walker. Um, yeah. I feel like that might be a little high for him, though. Yeah. Uh, it's, Assuming they're in the top, like, seven or so. Yeah, I mean, I think this draft has a lot of bigs. Um, a lot of length, which is just not fair for the Magic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they could even take a shot on Jonte Porter, um, who's out with the torn ACL. Um, he's got a ton of length. He's got a ton of skill. I think he would be fun to grow behind Vucevic. Um, yeah, I mean, I think they're DeAndre Hunter would be fun to see in Orlando. Jesus. <laughs> I have a lineup of Hunter, Jonathan Isaac, Aaron Gordon, Mobamba. <laughs> no That's it. You don't get five when you play those guys. <laughs> you only get to play a four. Link their arms together and they touch both ends of the hoop. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I think Orlando's exciting. I like I like where they are. I like what they did with the draft. Um, was a little skeptical of the Jonathan Isaac pick just because where they were with Aaron Gordon, um, but like the direction they're taking it now. Um, but yeah, let's let's switch over to to the Pelicans. Um, yep, so that's the team we're covering in the West. Sorry for that quick spoiler. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the Pelicans, um, for me, I'm surprised at how they're playing right now. Um, they're 14-14 and 14, um, right now in the 11th in the West, which is ridiculous um, with how efficient they are offensively. Uh, they rank second in points, second in assists. Um, they're just an offensive juggernaut right now. Um, it's just their defense, and something that I've noticed is that um, teams are putting Miritich in a lot more pick and rolls. I think he went up from guarding about six last year, or not even maybe not even that many, maybe around four or five, to around twelve a game. Um, so really attacking him. Um, I think losing Alfred Payton 
has been tough for them. Uh, but I think they're going to turn it around for sure. How do you how do you like them so far? I mean, they have two Duke guys, and that's pretty much that's usually the statistic that gets you to the playoffs, if you ask me. So, Who's I feel second? like they should probably play the Celtics for the championship, but in all seriousness, because um, they don't play. Uh, yeah, I think the, the player I've been impressed with the most, and honestly, it's not even that it's impressive to me. It's just that because I kind of expected it, but Julius Randle is finally free to be Julius Randle, and he's averaging 19 and 9 and finally playing legit minutes and being a real a real true uh, – they're just using him so that he can help the team and something the Lakers seem like they rarely did. Uh, he's been awesome for them. Miritich is a guy that I never knew could be this good, I guess. Um, he's impressed me a ton. Uh, and then Anthony Davis and Drew Holiday are – that's dangerous. Um, Drew Holiday plays such good defense and then also can put 40 on you at any given point. And then Anthony Davis is about as unguardable as it gets. So they they definitely have all the pieces. Um, and I think I, I didn't think they were going to make the playoffs, but I didn't really have a reason why. <laughs> I think I just thought last year was a little bit of a fluke. But, I mean, it's clear that their offense is there. And I think their defense will be there. I, I feel like they do have good defenders. It's just a matter of figuring out that pick-and-roll stuff with Miritich that you were just talking about. Yeah, I think it, it comes down to health, getting Alfred Payton back. Miritich has missed some time. Um, and then just gelling together. Uh, I think they're a move away um, from making a, a deeper playoff run. Um, I've seen reports out there saying that um, they could be the third team in the Lakers' pursuit of Trevor Ariza. Um, which would be interesting if they are able to to bring Rondo back, um, maybe even snag Contavious Caldwell Pope, get another shooter, um, defender type of player. Um, I like how they added Wes Johnson. Uh, I think the more wing help they have with Solomon Hill, Darius Miller, Etwan Moore, these these type of guys. Um, but shout out to Etwan Moore. I mean. Coming out of Purdue. Uh, you see that, that link we just made right there? That's oh yeah. impressive. Right? It's like I planned it. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, he's put up multiple 30-point games this season already. Um, he's just exactly what the Pelicans need. Someone who can hit it open shot, hit tough shots, take pressure off Drew and AD, uh, Miritich, those guys. Um, I really like their team. Like I said, just one move. Get a more reliable wing, someone who can consistently defend and consistently hit shots the way Etwan does, um, just to give him a little break. I think this team can be uh, a conference finals team at, at their peak, um, just because of the talent of Drew and AD. Um, Drew is probably one of my favorite players to watch, simply because he's six four, but will guard Durant one night and Kyrie the next. He's so versatile um, and just is in your pocket the whole game. Um, now, so you don't have to break it down too much, but put a put a percentage on Anthony Davis being on the Pelicans next year. 
tough. Uh, that's a tough question. All right. Then instead of being that specific, do you think there's a better chance he leaves or stays? Um, I'm going to say stays right now. Okay. Um, I think he would really likes it in New Orleans. Um, one, he can essentially do whatever he wants. Um, Alvin Gentry has built the offense around him. Um, he has a lot of good pieces around him. Drew Holiday, like I said, Etwan Moore, Miritich, these guys can take the pressure off him. I think it's going to come down to whether they keep Miritich, um, if they can sign him long-term, and if they bring in another guy um, to sort of take the pressure off him. Because I don't I, – I, I think he likes to to be the man, but I also think he would prefer to have the shul- the pressure off his shoulders. Um, I don't think he has that sort of alpha mentality all the time. So if they're able to bring in somebody um, alongside of Miritich, Holiday, Randall, Eton Moore, um, I think he stays just because – where can he go, really? I mean, besides the Lakers. Um, but the Lakers, um, I've been questioning their moves since Polinka and Magic got there. They've made good moves. they made terrible moves. It's just, um, can they put enough good moves together to get him? I don't see it happening. Um, and then in the East, I don't see him going. Boston's been the highest linked team. But... Again, they don't have the guys that take the pressure off his shoulders that I think he's looking for. I know Kyrie's been there, done that, but um, has struggled with health. So what do you think? Uh, yeah, I I kind of think he's going to stay too. Um, everybody's always linked to the Lakers, and I know it's because it's LeBron and it's also the Lakers, but I don't know. I Personally, I don't think I'd want to go into that situation Uh like you, I, we just heard KB talk about how I don't know how much truth there was to it, but how he knows it would be very hard to deal with LeBron because of the media frenzy that's always around. And I mean, who doesn't want to play with the best player ever and like have LeBron as your teammate? But I can definitely see how it's hard to be in that situation, also. And pressure is always crazy. So if it is the case that Anthony Davis kind of wants to go about his business and not necessarily being the biggest pressure cooker ever la might not be the best fit and i think watching him on boston would be crazy but i don't know how that would exactly work i feel like they'd i don't know they i wonder if they could make a trade surrounded around like jalen brown and a whole bunch of picks and pete like other lower end pieces and see if they could get something out of that but i don't know i think you i think he'd be in the pelicans next year well, yeah, you could do that move in 2K if you turn off salary cap <laughs> restrictions. But, um, that's what I said, a whole lot of picks. Like every one for the next 20 years, even though that's probably not even allowed. But financially, the the move would have to surround either Al Horford or Gordon Hayward um, just because Gordon makes $30 million. Um, Horford, I think, is around 24 26 something like that. So one of those things would have to be moved. I think Boston would sign up right – well, the fans would sign up right now to get rid of Hayward for Anthony Davis. Yeah, it's just – if the, I don't even know if the Pelicans would even consider that. Yeah. I, personally, I wouldn't no. consider that, but – No, unless you want to build your team around Miritich and Julius Randle as your bigs um, and absolutely have no defense in the, in the paint. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I think 
I think Anthony Davis stays a small market. I don't see him signing with another small market unless Sam Presti has another trick up his sleeve. Um, I just see him staying there. Um, any prospects you want to mention? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I kind of along the same lines with Anthony Davis. Uh, I think they could use a little bit more help inside. I know you, you were talking about the wing, but I also think they could use another another big because if you look at their bench, besides Julius Randle, we're talking about Shek Diallo and uh, and Ja Okafor, both of which aren't haven't come anywhere near what they were supposed to be. Um, so a guy I was looking at was Jalen Smith from Maryland, just trying to link us a little bit again. There you go. Uh, nice. Making it seem like we planned this way more than we actually did, but <laughs> uh, I just think his length and also his offensive ability could fit really nicely with uh, coming off the bench in a in a role like kind of with Julius Randle, where you could go with Miritich and and uh, Anthony Davis to start, and then bring in Randle and Jalen Smith, and you don't really lose a whole lot of what you had to start. Obviously, I'm not comparing them to Anthony Davis and saying he brings anywhere near what Anthony Davis can do, but like the same type of play style that those two guys can bring yeah no I, I like that pick um because there's a lot of potential there uh i was sort of thinking the same but um opposite of what um jalen smith is i i thought of um Conate from west virginia oh wow um, that would not be fair if you played with anthony davis yeah. he would literally not be able to get any ball near the rim ever yeah, I think just his defensive presence, his size alone being – I mean, he's only 6'8", but he's listed at 250. I don't see how um, Zion Williams, Williamson is 35 pounds heavier than Conor Jay. <laughs> I don't – Yeah, no, there's no way. Absolutely no way. I don't they think – Their scales are broken down yeah. there or something. No, I, I think the scale at West Virginia stops at 250. <laughs> um, and it spins around a couple times for him. Um, but, yeah, I would, I would like to see Conte there. He just, as a man, can uh, really defend. He's also – he started to make three so far this year, which is really weird and scary that he can do that. Yeah, a man his size should not be shooting the ball. <laughs> um, He's got, like, eight threes in his last five games or something at Wisconsin – or Wisconsin, West Virginia. That's, like, not fair at all. Yeah, so I'd love to see Conte – or um, my second favorite um, international player that I think will hopefully come out this this year, um, Goga Vitsa. I believe that's how you say it. Um, <laughs> he was supposed to come out last year, um, returned to Megalex. Um, he is almost like a Miritich, but more of a true center. I would say a, more of a mix of Miritich and Ennis Cantor. Um, but with more of a defensive presence, uh, I think he would be a lot of fun to see um, play there because he's an athletic big. He's six eleven, um, got good size, two fifty, um, and can move his feet. So I think he'd be fun to see there as well. I want to add anything about him? Nope. <laughs> I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> um. Yeah. So that's. That's our NBA. Um, I guess I got to give you a trade. Um, yep. We'll take a quick break here so I can think of one. <laughs> All 
All right, so we're, I'm going to throw it to Zach here. I'm going to make our NBA picks. I'm going to send out my trade, and then we'll go over a quick study, and we'll call it a, a podcast. So who do you got for tomorrow's NBA games? All right, so this is a little bit tougher. It's only three games late, and NBA is harder to, like, guess spreads and stuff because you have no idea who's going to be playing on any given night, especially this year. Um, so I'm going to go with the Spurs, minus 12.5 at home over the Suns. The Suns are about as big of a dumpster fryer as you could get right now. Uh, you got people complaining they didn't take Luka. You got Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton fighting. You got DeAndre Ayton getting benched. Like, it's just not a good situation right now. Spurs aren't doing too hot either, but I'm still waiting on that. Them to really turn around and start clicking. Um, I just – how the heck can you pick the Suns? <laughs> yeah, it's – be tough. 12 and a half is a lot. Yeah, um, I don't see. And any- this is always the weird. The Spurs always have the game where they play someone like the Suns, and then you don't have Aldridge or Duros in playing. Like, oh, thanks for telling me, but yeah, we rolled dice. And just to help you out, Zach, I'd say take the over. It's two eighteen. Um, <laughs> neither team plays defense. It's gonna Spurs will be in the one twenties. Um, I think the uh, Suns will be in the low one hundreds, one tens. So I, I would definitely jump on the over. Just and Zach, you can say you came up with that one. Yeah, I nailed that. One. <laughs> Watch, they'll probably both score in the eighties, just because. Yeah. yeah, right. I feel pretty good about the over. Um, but for me, I'm gonna. There isn't a line out that I see for the game I'm gonna pick, so I'm gonna guess the line and pick. Um, I'm gonna take. Um, I'm picking the Raptors Clippers game. It's in LA. Um, Clippers have been struggling a little bit as of late. Um, they struggle to rebound the ball, and that's something Toronto does really well. Uh, if Kawhi plays, um, I'm going to take Toronto minus two and a half. That's my guess is the spread. Um, I think Toronto is going to win 102-89. Um, I just think the Clippers struggles with rebounding against a big team like Toronto uh, is going to it's gonna hurt them. And they're not going to be as efficient offensively against guys like Danny Green and Kawhi um, and Pascal Siakam. I mean, they're just full of guys that play both sides of the floor. So, yeah, I got Toronto minus two and a half. Um, right, let me give you one more quick fun kind of thing. Uh, for you personally, over under 50 for Boogie in his first G League game. <laughs> 50 might be low <laughs> I'm going to take the over for 50 <laughs> shot attempts um, I think he's going to be really really rusty um, he's going to shoot a very poor percentage um, not going to be used to the speed of the game the G League is up and down much more than the NBA uh, most games are in the 120s uh, and I think that's going to be a big shock to him uh, he's going to take it very lightly I think he's going to have something like 12 and four um, shoot like 35% from the field um, and just trying to get used to the game and get his conditioning back. Not, not how you thought I was going to answer that. How about his second game? <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think it's, it's going to be tough for him because he's a timing player. He's not going to beat someone with speed quickness. Um, 
he's very elusive with his or deceptive with his moves, um, and he relies a lot on his shot um, to get him going. So I think it's I saw oh, I saw something funny about him when there's a video going around of him like making weird euro step and dunking, and it says like uh, this reminds me me of my uncle at a family party trying to show me he still got it. <laughs> <laughs> Boogie does do that. He, he when he's warming up, you're like, man, that dude doesn't look like he's got knees. <laughs> and then he can score fifty on you. It's like, what the hell happened? Yeah. So I think it'll take time to get back. I'm very interested to see how he meshes with the team, especially with. The- yeah, I'm just happy he's starting to get back. I'm. Yeah. I really want to see what's going to happen there. Yeah, because with the problems that they've had so far, um, it's interesting to bring him into the fold, especially how much. He uh, he brings to the offensive end of the floor with both guys already struggling to get enough shots for each other. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting. All right, trade me. All right, so um, to sort of go with the theme, to stay with the teams we've covered today, I'm going to work with the Pelicans um, and have them send Solomon Hill and Wes Johnson to Phoenix for Trevor Ariza. Um, I think this is – there's two reasons to do this move. One, it prevents the Lakers or Rockets getting Ariza. And two, it brings a veteran presence on the wing, um, someone who can knock down shots um, and has championship caliber play in him. Um, he's played with championship teams. He's played on playoff teams that made deep runs. Uh, I think this would be a huge move for the Pelicans. It'd be fun to see him play with uh, AD and Drew. What do you think? Yeah, I, I really like that for the Pelicans. I don't know how the salary, like the uh, contracts and stuff, work out going back to the Suns, but if that's a move that can turn into like a salary dump that the Suns will have literally no problem doing because they obviously have no desire to play this year, that would work really well for all parties involved. Yeah, I think so. Solomon Hill, he's making twelve million this year. We'll make twelve million next. Um, West Johnson is making six million this year, nothing next year. Um, Ariza is making fifteen, so um, Suns will take a little back, a little bit more back, um, but we'll be able to get rid of a lot next year. And, and I, it's, Ariza hasn't even been great for them, so they don't really mind giving him up. And I mean, it's I don't think the Pelicans would be losing a whole lot. Like I, I feel like it's very even for the Pelicans. They might be risking something with how Ariza's been playing so far this year, but I think in like a situation that the Pelicans would present, Ariza would definitely pick his game up. Yeah, and I mean, if you have to throw a pig in there, um, Dems has not been afraid to throw in a first-rounder. Um, me, personally, I would heavily, heavily protect it um, to a point in terms of did two seconds in 2022, um, but um, I would I would definitely do this move for Phoenix. It would allow them to move T.J. Warren, um, bringing Solomon Hill back and West Johnson. That's plenty of wing. Um, send out um, T.J. Warren and Josh Jackson. Try to bring in more assets. But yeah, I think this would be a, a fun move for both teams. Yeah, I'm down. Sign me up for that one. <laughs> um, so you want to get into your study you came up with yeah. this week? So this will just be a quick one, but uh, kind of it's something I thought was – I didn't believe at first when I heard it, but it's called too much talent effect. And, I mean, when you think about it, it might make sense, but 
Um, so it's been proven that there's a there's a point where too much talent on a team can become detrimental. So a lot of people think, oh, if I just have as much talent as I possibly can have, then our team performance will be as good as it possibly can be. But in reality, um, there's like an optimal point where once you pass that point, uh, adding more talent will just actually decrease performance and make your team worse. Uh, I think you can, you've seen that before probably in, in any sport you watch where you think like, oh, let's add this one more superstar and we're going to be pushed over the top. But in reality, you're pushed over the edge and then you just fall down. Um, it hasn't quite happened with the Warriors, uh, but like even in Miami, the first couple of years with LeBron and Wade and Bosch, they struggled uh, until they started to mesh. And so the way that obviously from that situation, the way to offset the too much talent is to have a really close knit team that is like really cohesive and plays well, not even just plays well together, but like gets along well because it offsets all the egos that generally come with a lot of talent. So yeah, shout that's out. a study for the week. Shout out Philadelphia Eagles dream team. <laughs> that dynasty that lasted all of a week and a half. <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting point. And I think the Golden State's really close to hitting that edge. Um, DeMarcus can either push him over the edge or bring them back a step um, to to more cohesiveness. I think he gets along well with them. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if that changes once they step on the floor. Um, and he's getting 12 shots a game compared to his mm-hmm. 20, 25 shots. So um, it'll be interesting for sure. I think that's a that's a team that yeah, I could see falling down very fast. And then all of a sudden in a couple of years, it's um, Steph is the only one left. So nice study. Thanks. <laughs> Wish I could say I did it myself. <laughs> um, so that's it for, for this week. We're working on getting a, a website going to put some content out for you so you can read it while you're at work or whatever. Um, have a Twitter account coming out. Um, so stay tuned for all that YouTube channel coming. So yeah, thanks for listening. Send it to your friends. Tell them to just click on it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thanks. And let us know if you want to hear anything, think of anything, want to debate something. We really would like to argue with anybody that wants to argue. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll see you next week. Up in the basement, party hard till the cops show up. Get out on the floor. All I wanna know, can we turn this thing?